standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. Who determines our destiny and why are we born in the midst of a great controversy? In this message, we are going to examine the great controversy as it is presented in Proverbs chapter 9 and by the grace of God receive a better understanding of what it actually means to be born on probation, to be born in the midst of two powers who are contending for our souls. It seems that many people misunderstand that as soon as sin entered into the world, Jesus stepped in to make provision so that everyone who comes upon this world can depend on Him in the fight against the enemy. We should realize that our life period here on earth is still considered to be on probation and it is a period given to every individual to demonstrate what way of life they will choose and what character they will form. Character isn't something that we are born with, but rather it is something that we built. Something terrible happened in the Garden of Eden nearly 6,000 years ago, but through the blood of the Lamb, the land which was slain at the foundation of the world, humanity was able to be put back on probation and everyone still have the ability to choose which master one would want to serve. Notice this statement from the Spirit of Prophecy. Adam's sin plunged the race into hopeless misery, but by the sacrifice of the Son of God, a second probation was granted to man. In the plan of redemption, a way of escape is provided for all who will avail themselves of it. God knew that it was impossible for man to overcome in his own strength, and he has provided help for him. How thankful we should be that a way is open for us by which we can have access to the Father. The gates are left ajar, so the beams of light from the glory within may shine upon those who will receive them. CTBH 15.3 we learn from this passage that God in Christ never left us behind without any help. The gates are left ajar, wide open, as the prophet said. They're not closed. We have access to divinity at any time. It is a blessing for me to know this and be able to share it with others. We have nothing to fear and our children have nothing to fear. The gates are wide open. And yet God is a fair God. He honors our individual free will. We have the ability to choose Him if we so decide, but we also have the freedom to choose the way of the enemy and become susceptible to our perverted faculties. God never forces Himself upon others because this is not the way of love. Can you force someone to love you back? Can I force my wife to love me? No, for love is an expression of one's free will. And since love is in the character of God, He does not force anyone to receive Him. Bearing these thoughts in mind, let us now go to Proverbs chapter 9 in order to understand what God declared through the wisest man that has ever lived. In order to better understand the chapter, we'll first read through verses 1 through 12 and see what it is that they present and then focus on the remainder of the passages. Here's what Solomon declared. Wisdom had built her house. She had hewn out her seven pillars. She had killed her beasts. She had mingled her wine. She had also furnished her table. She had sent forth her maidens. She cried upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, 
she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish, and live, and go in the way of understanding. He that reproveth a scorner, getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh wicked men, getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. This is a very interesting passage, especially in light of Proverbs 8, which mainly discusses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, begotten in eternity. It is well understood that the language used here, as in many parts of the book, is allegorical in nature. Those who have accepted Christ as the only begotten Son of God are well aware that wisdom, especially as presented in the book of Proverbs, and particularly in chapter 8, refers to Christ. We are given a confirmation of this in the book of 1 Corinthians. Notice what Paul says there. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24 From this we can see that wisdom in Proverbs 9, just as it is in Proverbs chapter 8, refers to Christ. So what do we find in this proverb? We see wisdom presented as a woman a queen per se, who has built her house with seven pillars. She has killed her beasts and mingled her wine. She tells people, come, eat of the bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. These few verses are a wonderful exposition of the gospel and ministry of Christ that we would be remiss if we do not examine them portion by portion. What is the house mentioned in the above verses referring to? It is in reference to the sanctuary or in other words, to the church of Christ. I say this because the seven pillars which are mentioned here immediately remind us of a vision found in early writings where a description of the heavenly temple is given. It says there, This temple was supported by seven pillars, all of transparent gold set with pearls most glorious. Early Writings 19.1 from this passage, we can conclude that Christ is preparing an invitation for those that will accept to become part of His church, His family. But what took place in order for this invitation to be prepared? The killing of beasts. What beast is this in reference to? Ultimately, this is in reference to the lamb that was slain at the foundation of the earth, which was prefigured by the slaying of the animals in the typical ceremonial system. Christ took upon himself the punishment the moment Adam sinned so he could become the mediator between God and men and extend his invitation of salvation. Consider this statement from inspiration. Satan has come down with great power to work in the children of men, but in Christ's strength we can stand against him. The instant man accepted the temptations of Satan and did the very thing God had said he should not do, Christ, the Son of God, stood between the living and the dead, saying, Let the punishment fall on me. I will stand in man's place. He shall have another chance. 
And when human beings choose to follow Adam's example, the Savior still invites them, Come unto me, O ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But if man refuses to yoke up with Christ, if he refuses to learn of the great teacher, he cannot receive God's protection. Letter 22, 1900.12 Do we see this clearly? God's protection and His Holy Spirit are available to all who are willing to yoke up with Christ. We cannot live a life of righteousness without Christ, but in order to achieve this, we still need to desire it, to choose it, and Proverbs chapter 9 helps us to understand this. See, Christ was able to set His table because His blood was shed for the remission of sin. He made the provision for all of us and set us free to choose which master we would serve. And we learn of His continual invitation in verse 5. It says there, Whoso is simple, let him turn and hitter. I want us to explore the word simple and its significance. What does it mean to be simple? The Hebrew word used in this verse is pithi, and it is an adjective that is used a lot in Psalms and Proverbs to signify literal simplicity. It is this very simplicity that Christ requires of us when we approach Him and seek to understand His ways. We have to come to Christ with an open heart and without any preconceived ideas. We ought to be ready to believe on everything He says. The simplicity mentioned here may cause us to think of the following words of Christ when He said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But are we ready to become as simple as a little child? Are we ready to hear the voice of Christ and trust Him as a child trusts His mother? Those earliest years in the life of a child play such a huge role in the development of character because it is at that very time when children are most susceptible to guidance. This is why God requires of us to be His little children, and we are to ask of Him to give us strength to search for humility of heart and lowliness because this simplicity is essential in our spiritual growth. In verse 5, Christ continues with His invitation. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. The bread and wine that we are to eat and drink of here are the body and blood of Christ, which reminds us of the Lord's Supper and His sacrifice for the sins of the world. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, a plan of salvation was put into place which allowed for him to be forgiven and continue to walk in righteousness. God made it possible for Adam to continue to be united with divinity. Christ stepped in and became the mediator for mankind. However, it was still Adam's decision whether he would accept the gift, repent, and partake of the invitation or not. Thus, it is for each one of us and anyone who has ever lived. As we read earlier, when human beings choose to follow Adam's example, the Savior still invites them. God's mercy endures forever. It is for this reason that John declared, My little children, these things write I unto you, 
that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2 verse 1 These were the words offered to humanity from the moment Adam and Eve fell. See, God and Christ knew very well that sin would wreak terrible havoc. But glory be to the Father and the Son for never leaving us behind and for providing a way of escape. Nevertheless, the way of escape still requires our cooperation. Back in Proverbs 9, we read, Forsake the foolish and live, and go in the way of understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. Proverbs 9, 6, 10, and 11. In order for us to live, we ought to forsake the foolish. But who are the foolish? This proverb gives us a comparison between Christ and Satan, between righteousness and sin. If wisdom is what leads to righteousness, then the foolish must be those who are living in sin or that which leads to sin. We see this confirmed in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says there, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Jesus asks us to forsake the path of sin, and Paul continues this thought process just a few chapters later in the same book. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship had righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion had light with darkness? 1 Corinthians 6.14 And in 1 Corinthians 5.17, we read, All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are to forsake sin if we are to live eternally, for it is sin that causes death. We see this clearly presented in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life is a gift of God, but acceptance is necessary. We have to choose to partake of the supper that the Lord has prepared for us. The first 12 verses of Proverbs 9 demonstrate this to us. Jesus Christ is the only way and life unto righteousness. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14:6. The first 12 verses of Proverbs 9 are a clear depiction of the plan of salvation and the invitation of the gospel. Christ is ever there working through the messengers of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to invite people to partake of this gift. No righteousness can be found outside of Him and those that seek to find it elsewhere will fail to obtain wisdom. We need to choose Him and as the lyrics of a famous hymn go, to trust and obey. The Bible says in verse 11, For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. I dare say that this passage is not only in reference to the mortal life that we live upon this earth, for the days of the righteous shall be increased to eternity. We are to look for the better promise of a life that goes beyond this temporary world and trust that God will deliver upon His words. The reward of the gospel is so beautiful that one might wonder why everyone wouldn't choose it. But as we look around, we see that this is not the only way open to men. 
Adam's sin brought many consequences and allowed Satan increased access to content for our souls. Righteousness is not the only option available to us. We live in the midst of a great controversy between good and evil. These two options are available in this world and every individual plays a role in the building up of either of two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of the world to come, which is a kingdom of righteousness. We heard what Christ had to offer, but as we continue in this proverb, we'll see that the tempter is just as diligent in seducing souls into the paths of sin. Proverbs 9 continues, A foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple and knoweth nothing, for she sitteth at the door of her house, on a seat in the high places of the city, to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, and as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. We see here a foolish woman that is clamorous or boisterous, noisy, as it might also be translated. She is continually chasing people with her enticement, and isn't this the way of sin? Aren't the carnal lusts or sensual pleasures of this world presented in this very way? They most certainly are. This clamorous woman is sitting at the door of her house, which is in the high places of the city. It is the riches and the kingdoms of this world that Satan regularly uses to seduce men into sin. What did he tell Christ in the wilderness? Again, the devil taketh him up unto an exceedingly high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Matthew 4, 8-9 It seems as if sin brings a reward. Nevertheless, this so-called reward ends up only being an illusion. As this proverb says, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he knoweth not that her guests are in the depths of hell. The Bible is very clear. The wages of sin is death, as shown in Romans 6.23. Unrighteousness will bring nothing else but death. The guests who partake of what the glamorous woman has to offer are not only on the way to hell, but they are already in the depths of hell under the power of Satan and led captive by him. Unforgiven sin leads to ruin, and it is the bottomless pit. Everyone who partakes of sin becomes the servant of sin, and is under the rulership of Satan. Notice how greatly this is presented in John chapter 8. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. In Proverbs 9, Solomon presented to us the way of life for every human being that comes into this world. Because of the plan of salvation, we are able to choose our master and decide for ourselves who it is that we want to follow. When Solomon penned these words, he was inspired by Christ, and this same line of thinking was repeated by Paul in the epistle to the Roman church. It says there, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but a life unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts 
thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, knowing not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Romans 6, 11 to 13 and 16. Paul's writings here align perfectly with the thoughts of Proverbs 9. We are given the option of choosing whom to yield ourselves to. If I yield myself to Christ and obedience, or as Solomon described it, to wisdom, I shall become a servant unto righteousness and life. But if I choose that path of sin, or what the clamorous woman has to offer, I will automatically become a servant of sin. See, the key phrase in this passage is the word yield. It means to surrender or submit oneself to another. Are we ready to submit to Christ day by day, hour by hour, or shall we obey the lusts of our mortal bodies and become captives by Satan's temptations? This is a free will choice that every one of us has to make. Christ can never force me to submit myself unto Him. It is my own choosing. In order to summarize everything we have discussed thus far, we'll now turn to the words of Christ Himself who clearly presented that the way of righteousness and unrighteousness is based on our personal, individual choice. In the book of Matthew, the sixth chapter, Jesus shares with us the importance of laying up our treasure in heaven and choosing God as our master. It says there, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew 16.19-24 Jesus is here using the example of possessions in order to illustrate the battle between light and darkness and our decision to unite with either master. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Christ is the light that our eyes need to behold. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, But we all with open face beholding, as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. In order for us to have a good eye and for our body to be filled with goodness, we ought to behold the light. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Unfortunately, the exact opposite holds true as well. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. No one can have two masters. We either have God through Christ as our master, or we have sin and the originator of sin as our master. It was Christ speaking through his servant John that declared, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. 
Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. 1 John 3.10 Every servant has a master. In today's world, the word servant carries a negative connotation. But when we look at what the scriptures present, we see that to be a servant of righteousness brings life and joy. Isn't it beautiful to know that God has orchestrated a plan of salvation through which He has given every human being the free will to choose their master? Everyone has sinned because of their own choosing, and neither God nor our ancestors are to be blamed for our choices in life. Nevertheless, even those who have sinned have been given another chance. We need to acknowledge our faults and take responsibility for every word, thought, or deed we have ever committed. We have further confirmation of these very points in the writings of Sister White. She was entirely on par with the Bible, and it could not be otherwise, for it is the same source that inspired both sets of writings. Thus, it would be important at this time to hear what she had to share on this subject. We'll start with a passage that was published in the Signs of the Times back on November 3, 1881. Despite the many sovereigns to whom men profess allegiance, all mankind are serving one of two masters, the Prince of Light or the Prince of Darkness. Samuel served the former, the sons of Eli the latter. The characters of these persons standing out in such striking contrast present the two great parties into which the world has been divided since the fall of Adam, the servants of Christ and the servants of Satan. God has ordained that with families and nations or with individuals, virtue is the basis of happiness, vice the foundation of woe and misery. In all the history of the nations, wherever righteousness has been cherished, union, peace, and prosperity result. Where greed, selfishness, and irreligion reign, weakness, degeneracy, and corruption follow. We further read also, It is He, Christ, that loved us, and so loved us that He offered His life as a living sacrifice to bear the sins of a guilty world, that man should have a second probation, that man should be tested and proved and tried to see whether he will stand under the blood-stained banner of Prince Emmanuel or whether he will choose to stand under the banner of the Prince of Darkness. MS 43a, 1894.3 Do you notice what is being outlined here? Every man comes into this world to be tested, to be proved whether he or she will choose Christ or the way of the enemy. She further states, Christ speaks of the church over which Satan resides as the synagogue of Satan. Its members are the children of disobedience. They are those who choose the sin, who labor to make void the holy law of God. It is Satan's work to mingle evil with good and to remove the distinction between good and evil. Christ would have a church that labors to separate the evil from the good, whose members will not willingly tolerate wrongdoing but will expel it from the heart and life. Review and Herald, December 4, 1900s, paragraph 6. These statements show us that probation is the period during which we are to be proved and tested regarding which master we will serve. The servants of sin will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, for they have chosen to be under the banner of the prince of darkness and have never sought repentance. See, the plan of salvation was put into place in such a way 
that for as long as our individual probation continues, we have the opportunity to choose either of the two masters. This is why we know that once saved does not mean always saved and vice versa. A sinner might turn from his wicked way tomorrow and a righteous person may choose to forsake the good or the way of righteousness and go back to sin. However, we are not to confuse probation with conversion. No one is born with a predefined character. Character is something we build and is based on the daily choices we make. Only a life in unity with Christ can form a character for eternity. By beholding, we become changed. Everyone partakes of the battle between good and evil, between Christ and His angels, and the devil and His angels. Our only surety in this battle is to remain surrendered to the leadership of the Prince of Light. He is to sit on the throne of our hearts and through grace to mold and shape our characters for eternity. Do you hear Christ knocking on the door of your heart? Do you realize that none else but the Son of God can strengthen and sustain you in the battle against evil? My appeal to you is that you surrender to Him and trust in Him every hour of every day. May Proverbs 9 be a lesson to each and every one of us so that we can fully understand the battle between good and evil this great controversy which has been around for longer than 6,000 years. And may all of us trust in Christ, for He is our only hope and surety. If you want to invite Jesus into your heart, I want to invite you to kneel down with me so we can petition Him in the word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the plan of salvation that you have put together so that we do not have to face the enemy on our own. Lord, we are thankful for the provision of giving us your only begotten Son, whose blood and death are sufficient to cleanse us from all iniquity. Lord, we pray that you help us to understand the fullness of your grace. Help us to understand that we can rely on you and trust in you so we can build characters in the battle against evil. And Lord, we pray that you remind us of the fact that there's nothing we can do on our own. I pray that you will bless everyone who is seeking you with an open heart. Lord, help us to surrender to the guidance of your Son. Help us to unite ourselves in righteousness and finish the work that is given to us, which is to demonstrate to this perishing world the glory or your beloved character of love. We thank you, Lord, and we surrender everything to you and pray and ask all of this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory now and forevermore. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer Health and Missions